Welcome to another episode of This Engineering Life, the undergraduate series. I'm Rebecca Simmons, an associate professor of the practice in mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. I'm joined with Fran, Sydney, and Grant, undergraduate engineering students also at Duke. In this episode, we talk about research. How do you get into research? What does research look like? And more about opportunities. Thank you for joining us. everyone. I'm here today with Megan Richards. She's a junior studying electrical and computer engineering as well as computer science. And she's been involved in a number of different research opportunities around Duke. Thanks so much, Megan, for being here. Will you go ahead and give us a little bit of background around your research opportunities? I've kind of jumped around between a lot of different things. Mostly my work has been in health applications, sometimes in the more medical device side, sometimes more in the CS and data analysis side, but mostly in health. That's so awesome. And I know you've been involved with a research program since you came to Duke as a freshman. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I got introduced to research through the Juan Fellows program. This is a research ethics summer program designed for freshmen and to intro people into research. So basically you get put in a lab and then you go to a bunch of seminars on ethics and science of communication. And so through that summer, I worked and I'm still working with Dr. Ramanujam. She has appointments in BME and global health. And she works primarily on low-cost imaging tech, primarily working on diagnosing cervical cancer. That's super awesome. What do you think that the biggest takeaways from that research has been? And is it something that you're going to continue throughout the rest of your time at Duke? I think that when I began this research, I came into it thinking that I kind of had to choose between being an engineer and thinking humanistically or interpersonally about problems. I think that divide is often just perpetuated in general, that you have to choose between being technical and non-technical, especially in research. But cervical cancer is a really interesting problem, ironically, because we have everything to solve it. About 40 years ago, cervical cancer was a leading cause of women's cancer deaths in the United States. And today it's not even in the top 10. And the main reason for that is because we developed a lab-based test called the pap smear, which screens for cervical cancer. And so this has dropped the mortality rate incredibly. However, just because we have something that works doesn't mean it's always possible. And so there's a lot of barriers that uh, women face globally as far as getting this kind of screening. If you think about it, some of those barriers can be having regular yearly access to a physician, having regular access to a lab. Um, There's also lots of stigma and cultural norms or gynecological care in the first place, especially because screening requires you to go and see a doctor and expose yourself to the often male practitioner when you don't have any symptoms and nothing is particularly wrong. And so because those barriers exist, cervical cancer, which is almost entirely preventable, remains a top driver of female cancer mortalities globally. And so our work is focused on building technology to bridge these barriers to cancer screenings. And so the big picture goal is trying to allow women to screen themselves, even if they don't have access to a doctor or to a lab. And so the device we're working on right now is like an imaging device that can be self-inserted similarly to a tampon. And then basically a photo is taken. And then we have a diagnosis model that takes the image and tells you whether or not you have cancer, basically. And so 
What I really like about this kind of work is that in order to really understand this problem, in order to actually solve it, you can't just think like an engineer. You can't just think from the clinical perspective and just think about the pathology of how these cancers develop. You can't just think from the CS perspective and think about the AI model that's doing the diagnosis. You also have to think about the real world experiences of women across the globe. You have to think about what are the barriers they're facing? What kinds of healthcare system do they have access to? And what are their very personal experiences? Because those define the constraints of your engineering problem. And if you don't understand those effectively, you're going to build something that just doesn't work to solve those problems. And so I think this research project really taught me that I don't have to choose between thinking systematically, policy-wise, humanistically, and thinking technically and wanting to build things. That's super awesome. Something that comes to mind when you talk about that is just the phrase human-centered design and the idea that you can design something for a lot of different reasons and the work that you're doing is designing it to help people. And I think that's really awesome. Do you feel like that want to both be an engineer and to be solving more human and society-centered problems is something that you're going to continue looking for in future work, in future jobs, and just in your future in general? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm planning on a career in research in general, and I think that there's so many different research perspectives that are necessary to solve lots of problems. But I think that I used to think about a career in research in terms of, again, being purely technical. I thought your motivations had to be, I just love my field so much that I just want to do it regardless of what's happening in the world. But I think that there's increasingly a greater space in research for alternative applications focused mentalities so that we can think of people doing research, not just as people who like to read textbooks for fun, but also people who want to look at the world, decide what's important and figure out how to solve it. And I think those mentalities are also very much fit within the frameworks of research, even though it may not be the idea that you have in your head of what research is supposed to be. That makes a ton of sense. I want to ask kind of on the same lines as that. You're a junior now and you've had this mentality. What would you say to people who are a little bit younger, who are just coming into Duke, who are looking for research opportunities and feel the same way as you? How would they go about finding ways and places that they can actually have a, a similar impact? Yeah, I think that when it comes to finding particular opportunities, the first thing is to try to combat that voice in your head saying that you're not good enough or you don't have anything to contribute. Because I think that's a really big barrier that a lot of people face. That was a barrier that I faced a lot. The only reason that I got involved with research in the first place is because I got in through in a structured way. I applied to a program and they placed me. And I don't know if I would have had the courage or the belief in myself to find that opportunity for myself. So I think that the first thing is trying to recognize that insecurity and realize that's not actually valid. Anyone at Duke is very, very capable of being successful in research. And the people, as far as the researchers at Duke, value undergraduate talent highly. And so first is do that kind of mentality flip. Second, there's a lot of research opportunities that do that happen via structured programs. And so if you look for them, you read the emails, you just go to, there's like an undergraduate research support office looking through the different programs that they post. There's lots of paths to take a first step and they'll help you figure out the rest of the steps. But I think one thing that I didn't think about, but now realize would have been a great thing for me to do is just to email professors straight up and say, hi, I really love your work. Can we talk about it? Do you have any opportunities for with any of your grad students? Are they looking for any undergrads to join them? Because in universities that are much larger, that's not a very effective approach because there's so many people looking for one position. But one of the benefits of being at a small university that also is incredibly research focused is that the ratio of people looking for research and the people who want research is pretty equivalent, which means that if you reach out, if you're genuine, if you've read their last paper, 
and loosely generally understand what's going on and say why you think you like it, there's a pretty good chance that professors will take your interest and, and bring you in. And I, even if you're a freshman, even if you haven't done research in the past, most professors that I've talked to and have worked with look for interest commitment much more than they look for a previous background. It's really awesome that you say that. I actually have two very close friends who use that exact method, just sending an email to a professor saying, hey, I love your research. I love what you're doing and I want to help. And both of them very easily got into those roles. Making connections with professors and with people around campus that can point you in different directions and help you find something that you might be passionate about. Once you find something you're interested in, just going for it, I think that's a good piece of advice. And at the end of the day, I think very few researchers would decline a helping hand. So that's definitely something that I hope encourages some of our listeners if they're interested in getting into research. I know you're teaching a house course that's partially about research next semester. Is there anything that you want to say about that? Yeah, I'm teaching this house course with Erica Langen. Um, she's a junior in biology, and we've had a lot of conversations over, especially the past year, about our experiences of women in research environments, especially as we're thinking about going to grad school, finding mentorship and placing our identities and beginning to see ourselves in those kind of spaces. I know that for many of us in undergrad, we have a lot of experiences with primarily male professors, primarily male PIs. I know at least in my experience in engineering that I've never had a female engineering professor. And so when it comes to potentially seeing yourself in that kind of role, it makes it a lot more difficult. And so what we're hoping to do is create a house course that focuses on this intersection of our gender experiences and our experiences in research. And so the three main components that we're hoping to get at is one, to foster really intersectional conversation about these experiences. Second, we're hoping to kind of bridge a lot of these barriers that students face that we were talking about in the beginning of, I have no idea how to get a research position in the first place, or I have no idea what's important to graduate school or if I should do it. And kind of just having more skills workshops and passing along that system knowledge that we may not have coming into Duke. And then the third is just providing opportunities for a faculty to come in, talk about the research, and let students be able to have those kind of role models, even if they haven't always had them in the classroom. That's super cool. And it's incredible that you're going ahead and taking the initiative to teach this course yourself. That's super awesome. I wish you both very good luck in that. And thanks so much for chatting with us today, Megan. Yeah, thanks. It's been great to be here. Hey, Sydney. That was a super interesting conversation with Megan. I was really impressed with how passionate she was about her research, and I thought it was cool how actually being connected and being able to solve problems that were human-related was so important to her. What did you think? Yeah, I really liked what she was saying about how you have to think about being not just an engineer, but the human aspect of whatever you're working on. And I really liked how she was also taking initiative to teach her own course through this house course and be a role model for people who may not have a female professor or someone who wants to get interested in research and is not exactly sure how to. Yeah, Megan's awesome. Next up, let's go and talk to somebody else who's actually directing some medical research. Let's do it. Hey everyone, it's Sydney. I'm here with Dr. Ken Gall, who is a professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Material Science at Duke University. He is also the Associate Dean for Entrepreneurship in the Pratt School of Engineering. Thank you, Dr. Gall, for speaking with us today. Dr. Gall is super involved in research. He's incredibly successful. And I would like to know if you could share with your listeners just a little bit more information about your research or how you got involved in it. So I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into doing research. I was a senior in mechanical engineering at University of Illinois, and I didn't really know what research was. 
I just had an idea that might be something different than taking another technical elective. And I had had my share of courses. And so I signed up and really fell in love with it. I really like how you think through solving a problem no one solved. And I didn't necessarily love my first research problem, but I knew I liked the process. And that kind of got me on a path where I decided that I want to go to graduate school. And then while I was in graduate school, I really started enjoying the project I was on and enjoying research more. And then I decided I wanted to become a faculty member so I could continue to do that. That's incredible. I'm really glad that you were able to continue your research and go into graduate school. Could you tell us a little bit about what the research you do now is about? Sure, no problem. One thing that's really fun about being at a university is you can switch your research field. So without giving you a long, long history, tell you where I started and what I do now. I started in finite element modeling of crack. I then transitioned as a PhD student to shape memory alloys. So these are materials that can recover shapes. So if you can bend them large amounts and they'll recover. And from there, I transitioned as a postdoc. I started looking at the atomic modeling of materials and then left my postdoc and went to a university. My first university was University of Colorado. And night and all shape memory alloys started getting used in biomedical applications. And that really changed my research direction. I decided to start looking at biomedical materials, wanted to start learning about polymers in addition to metals. And around the time I started making that switch, I moved to Georgia Tech. And then my group became really focused on just synthetic biomaterials and really understanding, one, how does the body respond to those materials? But then two, how do the materials respond to your body? And then today, when I came to Duke, there was a lot of attention around 3D printing. And I decided that I wanted to work on this area of 3D printing of both metals and polymers, and then eventually figure out how to put this into biomedical devices. And that's my research group at Duke is really now almost solely focused on 3D printed biomaterials, but we do have some projects in just biomaterials. Yeah, that's really great. I know working in your lab, I've seen some incredible things that you have been able to 3D print. And so many people who work in your lab also are super successful and excited about twisting the way we should think about different materials. So speaking of students working in your lab, I feel like a lot of students think that they should be doing research even as early on as freshman or sophomore year. But why do you think students should do research? And if they decide that it's something for them, how can they get involved in it? For me, it was good to do research because it was just different than courses. It was less scripted. The learning was more trying to learn something that no one else has learned. And there's something exciting about that. And being involved on the cutting edge of science and technology is something that's always appealed to me. So I think that's the reason you should get involved in research. If you really desire to both discover new things and be involved in the cutting edge, that's the core reason. I think there's some other reasons to be involved. It helps broaden you as a student and as a person, trying to think about doing some things outside of classes that are technically related. And there's, of course, lots of things outside of class that are non-technical, but I think that's one thing that helps is you broaden your own technical understanding. I also think sometimes it can motivate you as a student to think about how to apply some of the things you've learned in ways that are less scripted where you might be learning about material science or mechanics or biomedical engineering, you can apply some of that to some of your research. And that's satisfying, I thought, to be able to see. For that reason, I would suggest you know, going after research topics that you like. Getting involved in research, one thing that's good about Duke is you have a lot of faculty for each student. 
At Illinois, there were so many people in my graduating classes that you had to really push pretty hard to find research problems that you liked because there wasn't as many available faculty. At Duke, it's a little less. My suggestion is you look at what people do, you talk to friends, you find out which labs are hiring students or working with students, and you reach out to the professors. And you have to be persistent. Sometimes you end up reaching out and it's hard to get a hold of people or there's different issues with response time or things like this. But I think you can use your academic advisors or you have a faculty member that's teaching one of your classes and you like their research. That's how I started. Or you can ask that faculty member to help you get in contact with someone. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's how Dr. Simmons helped me. In EGR 101, I did my first 3D print ever in my life. And I was like, this is the coolest thing in the entire world. And she just casually mentioned, oh, I know a professor who does a lot of 3D printing. And then connected me with you. And here I am, you know, a year later doing stuff in your lab. So to me, that's really cool to see how just simply saying one sentence, 3D printing is cool, even when I had zero experience before college in it. Now you can apply it, like you said, to more of the topics that you're learning in class, but you might not be able to actually do until much later on in college. So what would you consider some qualities that make a successful student researcher? way I think about it is you do have to have some level of independence. I've not run into a lot of students at Duke that don't have that. They're all a group of students. I don't know if that's a big difference, but you do have to have some of that. You have to have curiosity. And I think those types of things help because that sort of independence and curiosity really gives you a little bit of an extra edge and makes you a better researcher. If you're really not curious of understanding why things are the way they are, probably might enjoy it less. The other is finding the right fit. I kind of urge students not to take a position because it's open. Take a position because it's an area that you actually feel you have some passion for. And it's hard to know exactly how much you'll like it. But, you know, you might know I'm really interested in printing and I'm not really interested in fluid dynamics. You want to try to fit the right area. And I think find faculty that are doing it. We have a diverse enough department and multiple departments to do that. And you could also cut across majors because you're a mechanical engineer or biomedical engineer doesn't mean you can't do something in electrical engineering. Yeah, that makes sense a lot. I really think it's important to get diverse perspectives on some kind of research because if everyone's thinking in the same way, you might not get as far as you would like to go within your research. That's all the questions I have for you. Do you have anything else you want to share? One thing I would say is I've had a lot of undergraduate researchers in my lab for the last 20 years. I've really enjoyed having undergraduates in the lab. I will mention that one thing I've noticed is it's the ultimate, you get out what you put in type of situation. Mm -hmm. If you go into undergraduate research and your whole objective is to be able to list that you did undergraduate research on your resume, you'll be successful at that. I always think back to a student that was a great researcher in my lab and they went and interviewed for a job and they came back and they're like, I can't believe it. The interviewer asked me all kinds of questions about my research. And I was like, I don't, I don't know you should be that surprised with that, but it was a good thing that they knew that they actually cared about what they were doing and came in and put a lot in because I think that mattered and students did get that job, not solely because they were a researcher, but because they learned from the process and they put a lot in and got a lot out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that it worked out because you can hear the passion in someone's voice if they really enjoy what they're doing. And like you said, I'm just doing it for a resume checkbox. Thank you, Dr. Gall, so much for your time today. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Appreciate your advice. All right, Cindy, thank you very much. 
It was so great talking to Dr. Ken Gall. He has done some incredible research and I feel like he's really humble when he talks about what he does. Yeah, he is so humble. My man literally started two medical device startup companies with the research he's done and has just been doing a ton of cool work on campus. Yeah, totally. You want to talk to someone else who's also doing some incredible research and can really give us a good perspective on how to get involved in it? Yep. Up next, we have George Reteb. Hey, everybody. My name is Fran Romano, and I am here with George Reteb. George is a junior studying ECE, math, and econ. Some would say the trifecta. He is a close friend of mine. And some people don't know this about George, but he has some of the funniest TikToks I've seen on the internet. So with that, I want to give George a warm welcome. Welcome to the show, George. Thank you, Fran. You're too kind. With that, I'm sure people are curious about you being a triple major. So what what does your schedule look like this semester? This semester, honestly, it probably wouldn't seem like I'm triple majoring. I've got two ECE courses, one of them a core ECE course, ECE 230, and one of them ECE 382. I'm doing that because I want my senior design to be in robotics, and that's one of the prereqs for that. In addition to that, I'm taking math 545, so that's stochastic calculus that goes into the math major, and after that, I'll have one more class for that. And then finally, I'm in musical composition this semester, which is one I'm kind of just taking for fun to get away from all the STEM. Nice. Yeah, you must have a lot of extra time on your hands. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that extra time, I know you're involved in some research. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Right now, I'm doing math modeling research, so it's within the math department. But there has been a lot of applications I've seen from engineering within it. But the general research project is about COVID and analyzing COVID and building mathematical models to look at the spread of it. And in addition, take it within a different light. You could talk about like the different majors I'm doing interplaying. We're trying to take a game theoretical approach to seeing people's decisions to socially distance and how that affects the spread of the pandemic. So that kind of combines all three. But then also we're trying to analyze policy at the same time and see how different states implementing different policies has slowed or stopped the spread. That's really interesting and obviously extremely relevant. Is there an end goal for this research? Will it get pushed to policymakers or kind of what's the idea with it? I mean, to be honest with you, I have no idea how one would push research to policymakers. I also have no idea if policymakers would ever listen. But that being said, I think the end goal is publishing. And so there's a lot of previous papers on virus spread and game theory, but we have found a lack of that within COVID, probably because it is pretty new. And so we're hoping to add that to the field if possible. Do you mind doing a quick brief explanation on what game theory is? Sure. I would say game theory is the study of strategic decision-making within parties. And so the classical example of this is the prisoner's dilemma, where you have two prisoners and you're trying to get them to confess. So they can either confess or not confess. And it ends up in both of them confessing. That's just sort of how it ends up because of how the incentives work. But in this situation, the decision that we're trying to model is the decision to be COVID safe. So the incentives to that, of course, would be your own safety and the public safety of those around you. 
And the cost perceived of that is a sort of social cost in addition to the cost of any other things that you would be doing in public otherwise. And I mean, I'm curious at this point, are you allowed to share any of your findings or predictions? We, had, we don't, honestly don't have too many findings yet. We're still building the model and stuff like that. But I guess relating to game theory, one of the other ways that we've applied game theory is within vaccine distribution. I guess an interesting takeaway that we've seen there from another paper, it is always in whoever's giving out the vaccine's interest to lie about the vaccine timeline. So that doesn't obviously mean that they're lying about it by any means. But to say that the vaccine is coming in a shorter time frame than it is would incentivize everybody to be safer until it comes out, which of course then reduces the total number of deaths and infections. So how did you get involved in this lab? So it's not even really a lab. It's kind of like an independent study. I took a math model in class two semesters ago. And my final project for that class, well, that was around when we had been sent home due to COVID. So it seemed pretty relevant at the time for the final project. So I built a small model in Python for that class. And I guess my professor liked it. And she asked if I wanted to do research regarding it. And then we grew it from there. I mean, for one, I thought that the research itself was pretty interesting. I thought, obviously, there hasn't been too much research done. And thought it'd be pretty cool to be at the forefront of something like that. In addition, it just seemed relevant to my career goals as well. One of my goals is to potentially get a PhD. Not 100% sure that it's going to work out yet. Having research can definitely be helpful in doing that. But yeah, I thought it was pretty useful research and research in general, I think is pretty useful to have for undergrads. So kind of mutually beneficial there. I want to dive a little deeper into the research is useful for an undergrad statement. That you yeah, sure. Tell me more about that. I mean, I think whether you're going to get a PhD or whether you're going straight to industry, I don't think it really matters. I think having a diverse research experience is going to be helpful. So this isn't to say that everything that you do in a research lab is going to be applicable to a job or anything like that. But I do think that there's a lot of things that you pick up doing research that you're just not going to pick up during classes. I think it's pretty well known that what you learn in class is not what you're going to be doing in your job. And I think the same is true. It's also not necessarily going to be what you're doing in research. That being said, I think being on a research team in general there's some soft skills there and there's some technical skills, both of which I think could apply to your future career, whatever that might be. If you're going into industry, I know a couple of friends who have talked to me about how even in industry, having diverse research experience can help you get specific industry roles, especially if a company is looking for somebody who has niche knowledge or knowledge about niche information topic. I have a friend who's doing material science research and Google is asking him to work for them because they have this niche need for people doing material science research. But you might not think that the best way to score a software engineering position with Google is to do that kind of research, but worked for him. And so obviously that's a very specific example, but in general, whether it be soft skills, technical skills, or just having like unique research experience, I think it's pretty helpful regardless of where you're going. That's great. So I say I'm a freshman listening to this podcast. Sure. And I'm like, wow, what Georgia said sounds awesome. I want all of those skills. I want to graduate with that experience. What do I do? It's a week. How do I get involved? Right. First of all, if you're a freshman looking to get involved in a week, I mean, good for you. You're so ahead of the curve. I also started research my freshman year. And so that was interesting. But I think more importantly, as far as what to do, 
what I will say is that Duke is fantastic at just having abundant research opportunities. If you're interested in a topic, there's a pretty good chance that there's a professor here studying that exact same thing. And there's probably an even better chance that they'd be happy to take you under their wing and help you get involved in that. But my first research position here was in theoretical neuroscience. I know nothing about neuroscience. That is not one of the things I've ever studied. But the professor was happy to take me on and help me get the background information I needed in order to join the team. If I could offer any additional advice, I would say try to join a research team that is a team so that you're working with other people and potentially one that's been established for a while. I think that can be helpful and great for your first time doing research. That being said, neither of those are necessities and you could find a fantastic research experience that extends beyond that. Awesome. I think that is perfect advice. That was great. I appreciate your perspective and I think a lot of people can learn from what you said. So do you have any final words for our audience? It's so okay if you don't know what you want to do as a freshman. Like I'm a junior here and I am still sort of figuring out what I want to do and that sort of thing. And it's okay if things don't work out the way that you're expecting, whether that be like the research isn't as exciting as you thought or tenting isn't as fun as you thought it would be, or you don't even get to tent. I don't really know how that's going to go for y'all. But it's okay if that doesn't work out because you have a lot of time to figure it out and a lot of time to build experiences. And if there's one thing that you will get here, I think it's plenty of experiences. Thank you so much, George, for coming on the show. I appreciate your time and good luck with the rest of your research. I look forward to seeing your name on a published paper. Thank you for having me, friend. And I look forward to hearing your podcast. See, the thing, I just, just thought of this, but to me, and I feel like in a lot of people's heads, research is like lab coat petri dish kind of thing. And I think Megan especially did a really good job at like demystifying that idea and like making it feel more real world and talking about how like you don't just consider technical aspects of your research. There are like real human things to it. And I really like that aspect of interview. Mm -hmm. I really think that another way to not be the typical like lab coat petri dish kind of research is through like a bass connection class I do, which is something that I'm in now where it's like I'm researching why girls go into college wanting to pursue a STEM degree but don't graduate this one, which is not something that, you know, you need to wear really a lab coat for. It's more just looking at classroom environment and stuff like that. And it also counts as class credit and it's super easy to do as a Duke student because it's a Duke run program. And it was interesting. Everybody we interviewed talked about how many opportunities there are to research around campus and also the variety of them. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting, I think that Dr. Gall was the one who mentioned it, but the importance of finding something that you're interested in and passionate about and not just diving into someone's research lab because that's like the opportunity that presented it to you, but actually trying to pick something that you're interested in. For me personally, when I'm passionate about something, I feel and find that I'm a lot more successful with it. And for something like research that's very independent and creative, I think having that passion is really cool. I also wanted to mention that a lot of people state that it's really easy to get research just by emailing people. And I do have friends that have struggled to get research. So if you're in that situation, don't worry, just keep at it. It will come around eventually, but sometimes it can be a little bit more of a struggle than you might anticipate. Yeah, the other thing that didn't come up, but I think is also really useful in terms of research and doing things on your own that you care about, like you said, Grant, are independent studies. And like, 
literally just having an idea or like being like, I want to build this or I want to investigate this. And tons of professors are willing to support you throughout this process. And yeah, I'm a big independent study guy. I have a couple of independent studies now. Dr. Timmons is my advisor for one. And it's great having that faculty to like push you in the right direction, but you also have like total freedom of researching like things you want to research. Like I'm building a drone because I want to do it for fun. And it's like a research thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it also can relate to what you want to do like in everyday life. Like I know you love to do drone photography. So that is like a super fun fact about Fran. He is an incredible photographer. You should check out his Instagram, shameless plug. I forget the name of your Instagram. Yeah, shout out to at underscore from underscore above for some <laughs> quality drone photography content. <laughs> Yes, check it out. And, you know, I like how this independent study, you know, you're building a drone, which is related to what you like to do as an everyday activity. And like you can hear like when people talk about something that they love, there's this excitement and passion in their voice that not only gives them something to look forward to, but also can be really good to talk about in like maybe a job interview because you can describe it a lot better if you actually are interested in what you're doing, not to doing it for the resume checkbox. Totally agree, Sydney. I can count on one hand the number of people who have hated their research experiences. And so just go for it. This Engineering Life is brought to you by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. A special thanks to all of our interviewees for sharing their experiences. Our senior producer is Dr. Rebecca Simmons. Our editor is Theo Juarez. Our theme music is from Silverman Sound, Audionautics, and Kevin McLeod. Be sure to check back in two weeks when we chat with the Duke community about healthy eating. You can find this episode and more resources online at thisengineeringlife.com. I'm Fran. I'm Sydney. And I'm Grant. And this has been This Engineering Life. See you again soon. <laughs>